This past summer, Sandy and I got to celebrate uh, about 40 years of marriage, and we went out west to see the sights that are out there. You know, the canyons, Mount Zion, and just the, the parks that are out there. Great time. And um, one of the more annoying things, but when, when you get older and you're a tourist, well, we know about tourists down here. They do all kinds of crazy things. And so one of the things that I like doing is, and I won't do it so boisterous, but I, I will illustrate. One of the things that I like to do was, Now, much louder than that. But when you're out west, what are you trying for? You're trying to get an echo. I mean, I just still think that's cool, the way God made the world and all those big rocks and valleys and things, and you can be up on one side and just let it out as loud as you can and then pause and, you know, maybe two or three times if you're lucky, you know, depending on the distance and that sort of thing. You know, it's also possible to be out there in a valley like the Grand Canyon that's so big that when you, I mean, just bring it all in to just let out the biggest one you possibly can and then you wait and you never get it and well does that mean there's no echo guess what it doesn't mean that there's no echo it just means that it's so far away to the other side for that sound to bounce off that it's still never strong enough to come all the way back the reality is is if I can flip that around a little bit for you the reason you like to sing in the shower is because it comes back so quickly. Uh, one of my favorite places on earth is, is where, where the Edomites lived. You know, the descendants of Esau. So there was twin sons of Isaac, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob's name was changed to Israel. But what happened to Esau? Well, Esau went and he moved south of the Dead Sea and the people of the Edom or Edomites were his lineage and they lived the Bible tells us in the rocks and today there's one of my favorite places on the earth it's called Petra and it's right down there south of the Dead Sea it's a fabulous place many of you have seen pictures of the treasury at Petra and uh, I, what I like to do when I take groups there is we we walk into Petra, and we walk down the main street, and then we go up to the last carved-out building in Petra. Now, Petra is a city not built. It's a city carved. It's carved out of the rock. And so this particular room is pretty large. It's not as large as our auditorium, and it's, it's rectangle in shape, but it has a stone floor, and it has stone walls, and it has a stone ceiling because it was literally carved out. And I take a group of 10, 20, 30 people into the middle of that room, and we sing, How Great Thou Art. You see, and you've never heard a sound. I don't care how bad you sing. It doesn't matter. That sound comes back so quickly and so clearly that it's just magnificent. 
Well, pastor, what's your point? Well, the Bible uses echoes. Now, not audible echoes that you can hear, but written echoes that you can read about. Written echoes, or sometimes shadows and sometimes types. Sometimes those echoes are like being in a small valley and you can, whoo, and you can hear that echo come back pretty clearly. Sometimes you can be in a huge valley and send out that loud yell and still don't quite hear it, don't quite see it. Sometimes you can be so close in that environment that it's crystal clear why you could not mistake it if you tried. So that's what we're doing today. Here's what I'd like to do in accordance with the study that we've been doing. If you don't know, let me inform you. We are going through a study called Aspire, written by Matt Rogers, being transformed by the gospel. We come now to chapter 5, and, and literally we're going through the Bible. That's one of the reasons I really liked this discipleship plan, because not only are we learning more about the Lord and the more about the gospel, we're learning more about the Bible simultaneously. And today we come to that area of Scripture surrounding Moses and the Old Testament and its sacrificial system and the old covenant that God gave to Moses, the covenant that God established with Moses. And it deals with that intricate uh, time of the sacrificial system. Now, it's an important time in the life of God's people. It should be an important time in your life to understand the things of the Old Testament. Uh, moreover, if you do not understand the things of the Old Testament, you can't clearly understand the New Testament. It provides that ever so necessary context for you to understand what's going on. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to understand that Old Testament context, see what's going on back there in that Old Covenant. But then we know from the Lord's Supper and other places in the New Testament that Jesus came to bring the what? The New Covenant. He said in the Upper Room Discourse, as we well know, this is the cup of the New Covenant in my blood. Well, I have a question then that I've pondered for years. What's new about the new covenant? What's new about the new covenant? Now, I, I'm not so ancient to, to know that we've done a little bit of this, believe it or not, when I first came. And then we did a little bit more of it when we went through Hebrews. And we're going to look at that again in a little different way. Here's what I'd like to do with you so that you're not confused. I'd like to start in Hebrews. I'd like to go back to the Old Testament to see where that is and, and to link up that echo. Now, to make sure that we're getting this, what do you mean, Pastor? I'm not sure on this echo business. Well, that could be a faint echo, like I've said. So, for instance, keeping with the same theme, John, the Gospel of John, likes to do this sort of thing. So when Jesus was approaching his baptismal time and John the Baptist looked up and in John chapter 1, verse 29, he said, Behold what? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
Now, I know what you and I like to do. We like to take a picture of a pretty little lamb in a meadow and put it on a plaque or put it in a nice picture frame and say, ooh, ah, look at the cute little lamb. But if you were a Jewish person of the first century world, you would not be thinking in that direction at all. You would be thinking of the sacrificial system. You would hear a what? You would hear an echo. You know what? I think, I think I've, heard, I've heard something like that before. Even back before that in John's Gospel, uh, verse 14 of chapter 1, uh, that he has come to dwell among us. You remember that verse there? The grace of God is come to us and, and he dwells among us in verse 14 well that word dwell is actually literally the same word for tabernacle it's the same word that's used for the tent of meeting that Moses and the priest sacrificed in the Old Testament so sometimes we get a, a clear one. Oh, what about the one in John chapter 3 John chapter 3 now here's an illustration of a clear one this is what Jesus said even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. All right, now you say, well, that's not so clear. Well, it should be. Numbers 21 says they were wandering around in the wilderness under Moses, and God sent fiery serpents in the form of a snake there to, to punish the people. And so he told Moses, he said, Moses, take one of these serpents, bronze it, and nail it to a tree. And when the people look at that servant, they'll be healed. And now John in the New Testament is saying, like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted. It's direct. I mean, you know, you don't need a preacher or exegete or scholar to say, here's a picture that when people look to the cross by faith, they're healed. Boom, it's direct. It's a little bit more clear uh, about that. So some are a little vague, some are a little bit more clear and direct like that. The Bible calls them echoes, we thought, or types. This is a type of a person. We've read in Hebrews where Melchizedek, Jesus, the fulfillment of the type that Melchizedek was a high priest. Again, relating it to this period of time that we're talking about. The Bible has these. So I hope that I've set that up for you. Now I'm in Hebrews chapter 8. I'm in Hebrews chapter 8 before we return back to the Old Testament. Return back. So in Hebrews chapter 8, he's been explaining some things about Melchizedek, which quite frankly he admits is sometimes hard to understand. And then he gets to chapter 8 and he says, now the point is, and what we are saying is this. Okay, great. He's going to explain it to us. I, I really appreciate when the Bible explains itself. We have such a high priest. Oh, okay. The high priest like Melchizedek. We have such a high priest. One who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Oh, that's Jesus then, isn't it? Many of your Bibles will capitalize these when it refers to Jesus. A minister in the, oh, look at that, holy places. Wow, that smacks of something I've heard before. In true tent. Oh, I think I've heard about a tent before. That the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also having something to offer. Hmm. 
little confusing there. We'll keep going though. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy, a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. And then he goes on to talk about Christ. We'll come back there. But I think it's precisely at that point we need to go back and see this. Now where will we go? Where will we turn back to see the original? How about let's go back... Well, it says on the front of your bulletin. <laughs> to the book of Exodus. And we go back through the book of Exodus, and it's actually at this point where when I'm talking to people about Bible reading, and they start on their Bible reading plan, and they, they love kind of getting up to chapter 20. It's where I'm headed, chapter 20. It's pretty reasonable. I've, I've, I've got that fairly well connected chapter 20 oh we know what's in exodus chapter 20 do we not oh there's the 10 commandments indeed if you could picture just a moment with me i'd like to take you back there in your mind's eye we've just if we were uh, the israelites with moses we've we've gone through the 10 plagues in egypt and now god is setting his people free we've come down to the banks of the red sea and God said, why'd you bring me out here just to kill me? He's a real prince of a guy sometimes. And God showed him how to cross the Red Sea, dry land, right? And then it came back onto the Egyptians, crossed over Miriam's wonderful voice of praise on the other bank there, and then <clears throat> journeyed down the Sinai Peninsula to the very bottom there, a traditional site of receiving two things, those Ten Commandments, and then, and then, and then I'm looking at these chapters, 21, 22, some laws, different things, social justice, Sabbath laws, different kinds of things like that. The covenant in chapter 4 confirmed with Moses, this is my covenant that if you do these things, you will live. Uh, reconfirm chapter 25. Oh, look at chapter 25 contributions for the sanctuary my edited Bible and the people brought forth all kinds of gold and silver and bronze and blue and purple where did they get that oh they got that from the Egyptians the Bible says they plundered the Egyptians and so when they got out here and now chapter five, 25 the rest of it the Ark of Covenant how you make that next uh, in verse 23 the table of showbread and how you make that the golden lampstand oh let's read that just a little you shall make a lampstand of pure gold the lampstand shall be made of hammered work its base its stems its cups its calyxes um, and its flowers shall be one piece with it and, and there shall be six bread and on and on and on that's why I said sometimes this is where I get people who say you know I was doing really great reading through the Bible and then I got to boom and all these details and I don't really care oh see hold that thought would you I don't really care about all those 
details. Hold that thought. Put that in pause for just a second. So the tabernacle in chapter 26, all of these chapters, chapter 27, the bronze altar, the court and the tabernacle, all, even including the, the garments that the priests were to wear right down to their very, and their consecration, all of these details, the altar of incense in chapter 30, chapter after chapter after chapter, detail after detail after detail, this is the way you do it. Throughout all of this, he's showing all of these kinds of details to us. Wow. And, and then, throughout the rest, oh, we even see Moses' sons who did it wrong. God took care of them. And we see other things throughout the law. And we see more law. We get more of the story in numbers. But then, when we get to Deuteronomy, we see the law all over again. And God is hammering this home. And yet it is true that when we get to, oh, now let's go back. Did you see those things? You know, I think about the tabernacle. I think about, oh, okay, how about I stopped at the lamp, right? Hammered that thing out. And Jesus said in, in John chapter 8, what? The only light in the tabernacle was this 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 menorah, this candlestick, this candle holder. And Jesus said what? Woo! Woo! I am the light of the world. Oh, across the tabernacle on the other side, a small table with the bread that they were supposed to make without leaven. Woo! Okay, I'm getting silly now, aren't I? And Jesus said in John, what did he say in John chapter 6? I am, the, I am the bread of life. You see, you and I may or may not be making those connections. We are of a different cultural setting. Maybe those echoes are not as clear. Maybe they're just a little faint. I've known some Bible scholars that go way out on a wing, and they say, see, this is an echo of that, and I'm looking at it saying, really? I don't know about that. So you do have to be careful. The Apostle Paul did it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Oh, I'm quick. I'm quick to get there because I want you to get this. Chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians is a very important thing. For I do not want you to be unaware or ignorant, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. Oh, if I were just reading about a cloud, I'd say something negative. You know, I'm under a cloud. We, when we say, oh, that's a dark cloud, we would say that's not. Oh, wait a minute. There's a what? There's an echo. There's a reference back there, isn't there? And all pass through the sea. Oh, I'll bet that. Oh, I'll bet that's the Red Sea, even though it doesn't say it. And all were baptized into, oh, Moses. They were baptized into Moses. They were baptized by the law in the cloud and in the sea. And all had the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock. And my Bible capitalizes the word rock. Why? Perhaps there's a type you see there. All right, now back to my original question and my whole sermon. All that was the introduction. Actually, all I have left is the application. Really, it's true. I want to know, okay, that happened there. You, Mr. Bible, or, and I'm saying that affectionately because I love the Bible, 
you, Mr. Bible, are telling me right here that this says they served all of that. They served a copy. The, 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 the copy machine. You take the uh, what? The, uh, the, uh, the original and you put it on the plate and you make copies. They serve a copy, a shadow of the heavenly things from Moses. Now I'm all the way back in Hebrews 8.5. I know you to do that no it's not a good preacher tactic to keep in front of a group of people going back and forth and you lose them and you confuse them oh I hope that some of the 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 perhaps even antic type things of going back and forth just by the spirit of God in your heart says man I don't know what he's doing up there but I sure do want to and I'm not trying to be highfalutin and, and above you at all. I want you in love with the Word of God. And do not be the lazy people of this country saying, well, that, that's, you know, that, that's for scholars. That's what, that's what got us into the dark ages and the middle ages. Well, that's only for them. It's for you. It's for you. And it's right here. So it's a copy. Sorry for that rant. Wasn't part of the sermon. Not really. They serve a copy, a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it enacted on better promises. Now that's what I want to get to. He doesn't fulfill it here when he says make everything. But here's the way I ask the question of the text. How come it took God so long? How come it took God so long? If I were to go back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, I would see that right after the fall of Adam and Eve, the fall of mankind, that God began to make a way forward, that God announced his plan of redemption way, way back in Genesis. And yet Jesus didn't come for thousands of years later. How come it took God so long? Why did God take so long for Jesus to come? I think a couple of things. First of all, I think our head is harder than this pulpit. We're a hard-headed people. We're, the Bible calls us what? Stiff-necked, right? We're stiff-necked people. And, and it showed us over and over and over again. He also says that he was filling up transgressions. I'm not completely understanding exactly what all that was, but I think simply put is it took a lot for us to understand that we could not get to God on our own. The contradiction of the Tower of Babel. They built it in chapter 11, and they built it, and what was God's indictment upon that? God's indictment wasn't, look at these faithful people or look at these even well-meaning people who are trying to build and get up closer to me. I mean, that is almost logical. They want to build something to get closer to God. You would think maybe God would say, hey, that's not bad. The point is, is that they built that tower 
on their own effort apart from the will of God. And God's indictment was, see what they're doing? If they complete this, they'll think that there's nothing they can't do. Now, the implication is, is that there's nothing they can't do on their own. And, and that started this pattern. I hope you're following me insofar as why did God take so long? Because he had to demonstrate over and over and over again, you can't do it on your own. And that's what calls me back to this verse that I'm king off on everything. Make it perfect like this. Make it perfect like this. Make it perfect like this over and over and over again and make sure you do it like this and make sure you do it like this and make sure you do it like this and you're going to wake up one day and say God <laughs> I can't live like this I can't live like, I, I, I never can do it right I never can live up. I can't do life perfectly. That's the old covenant. Press on with me now. I want to know what's new about the new covenant. So here I am in this chapter. I want to keep reading. Maybe it'll be there. Maybe it'll be there. Maybe that's the question you're laying before the Lord. And I recommend this kind of Bible study, by the way. Lay a question before the Lord and then read the Word of God. Lay a question before the Lord and read the Word of God. That's what I do. What's new about the New Covenant? Here I go. I'll pick it back up at verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. Oh, well, I like that. I think what's new about it, it's got better promises. And I, I get a little confused, though. Did God make promises back then? Yeah, make these promises. Yeah, but they're better promises. Okay, well, you know what? The kind of person I am, it just doesn't quite, doesn't quite get me there. So I've got to keep going. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Okay, that's a great truth too, but that's still, call me hard-headed, that didn't get it for me either. For he, for he finds fault with them when he says, and he reads through this whole covenant promise here in, uh, in, in, that he gave to, to Jeremiah. We've read it before. It's a great one. I'm not going to read it. I'm picking up at verse 11. And they shall not teach each one the neighbor. So it's continuing Jeremiah. And each one his brother. Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, for the least of them to the greatest. Okay, I've read that in Jeremiah. For I will have mercy. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities. And I will remember their sins no more. Oh, my friends, if you went through these pages, you would see that one of the most often repeated phrases, one of the most often repeated phrases in all of these pages of the Old Testament <clears throat> is, I am the God Almighty. I am the God who has led you up by a strong hand out of slavery of the Egyptians to bring you into my promised land. 
I am the God who has brought you out of the land of the Egyptians to give you a land of flowing milk and honey. And I have given you my promises. I have given you my law. And you have broken it. You have broken it. You have rejected me. You have broken it. You have rejected all that I had for you. You broke it here in the Psalms. You've broken it throughout all of the prophets and the post-exilic prophets. How many times God repeats what you have done. This is who I was to you and you rejected me and you turned back over and over and over again. I actually think that this is why. Maybe it's an echo. Maybe it's an echo. But this is why Jesus stood up in that upper room discourse and the Bible uses the exact same word. Yes, it's translated from Hebrew to Greek. But he stood up there and he said, and he broke the bread. You broke this. And because you broke this, I am broken for you, he said. Now what's different, what's new about the new covenant? The new covenant said, I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. You see, what you and I need to lay hold on, but we don't, we want to, but that in Jesus Christ, I am forgiven. Now, I'm not just forgiven for yesterday. I'm not just forgiven for yesterday and today. I am forgiven from yesterday, today, and forever. It has been secured in the new covenant spilt in the blood of Jesus Christ that God says, I will remember your sins no more. Oh, my friends. I, I tell you if, you, if that doesn't just... Oh, I mean... If it doesn't grip you that you've been forgiven by God and it's so secure... You're missing the blessing of the new covenant in Christ's blood that he has forgiven us. Secondly, I keep reading through this passage. A lot of good stuff. When I get to chapter 9, now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and earthly... See, now I kind of understand a little bit more about what that's about. Now, we didn't spend a lot of time exegeting all the way through Exodus, but now at least I understand what he's talking about. And so he says they're called the most holy place. So I know what that means. That's the center place in the whole. After I cross past the, 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 the candlestick and the table of showbread, I come, I come to the altar of incense right before the veil. And on the other side of the veil is the, the little box cherubim there known as the Ark of the Covenant and inside it three things the manna uh, the Aaron's rod that budded and the, and the stone tablets that Moses brought down this is the holy place when I entered through the veil having the golden altar of incense and the, the Ark in verse 4 of chapter 9 and I continue to read down there the description that's going on. I pick it up at verse 8 of chapter 9. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet open as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for this present age, 
hold that. The echoes are going on, but now he's looking forward here, actually in talking in his present time. And by the way, in this case, his present time is our present time. His present time is our present time. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy place is not yet open as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic of this present age. However, keep going. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with the food and drink. Now, I want you to hold on to that, but cannot perfect. That word perfect, complete. And I want to go over to verse 11. To verse 11 and pick it up down here. But, on the other side of it, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. God secures an eternal, perfect conscience through redemption. Got to say that again, so let's just see it, because I'm picking it up from different places, but I'm still asking myself the question, what's new about the new covenant that's for me walking out of this place today? And I'm looking at it, I'm saying God secures, first of all, eternally perfect conscience. Why do I say eternally perfect conscience? Because the problem with the old one was, no matter how many times I did the right thing, the right way, every single time, it wasn't ever good enough. It wasn't perfect. It was never good enough to be approved of God. There's nothing in me that I can do on my best day that will merit my relationship with God. But in Christ, as verse 11 starts, it's different. The truth is, I can have an eternally perfect conscience. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm a perfect person and that I never do anything wrong. But I know that I know that I know that when I stand before him on that day, Romans 8.1 will be more clear than it's ever been before. There is no condemnation. There will be no condemnation. And that's what's new about the new covenant. Why, if we took the time to go to Leviticus 16, we would see that on that Day of Atonement, they had to do it year after year, year after year. In fact, they did it so many times year after year that by the time we get in the Bible, a little bit further down the line, to the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah just looks at the people and says, keep your animals, keep your bulls, keep your rams, keep your goats. I don't want them, says the Lord of hosts. Because all you're doing is going through the motions and your heart is far from me. Your conscience gets clean today so you can run out and do what you want to tomorrow. You don't have any... That's what he says. These gifts, these sacrifices offered cannot perfect the conscience. Only the blood of Jesus can wash you clean, says the song. I'm washed by the blood of the Lamb. When you're washed by the blood of the Lamb, only then are you clean. This cannot cleanse you. 
What's new about the new covenant? If you were in the new covenant, you were clean, washed by the blood of the Lamb, and you have an eternally perfect conscience never to be condemned that is done through redemption. That's what I did. I took 9 and 11 because the word redemption is up there. Uh, Actually, in 12, a little bit further. The blood of goats, they can't do it. But then here's the new covenant. Thus securing an eternal redemption is in there. That's what Jesus did. That's what the new is. It's not over and over and over. It's eternal. Number three. Number one, I will remember your sins no more. Number two, God secures an eternally perfect conscience. And number three, God has promised and Jesus has secured our inheritance. God has promised. See, that's a new promise. God has promised and Jesus has secured our inheritance. Look at verse 15 of chapter 9. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called by uh, called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. See it? There, there's the new covenant, that they may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgression committed under the first covenant. You messed up all of your life, all trying to do it right. And now this has been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, and you have received the promise of eternal inheritance. Now look at verse 28 really quickly, and then I'm going to put you out of your misery. So Christ, having been offered, I should read the whole thing. Folks, I wish you would. I just read through it and see how great Christ is. So Christ, having been offered, wants to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. God has promised and Jesus has secured our inheritance. That is, that we will be saved. It's the new covenant that you will be saved. And so I take you back now all the way. We're not really going to do anything. I'm just picture-wise, I'm taking you all the way back to Exodus. This is the way you do it. This is the way you make it. This is what you do day after day, year after year, even month after month. This is what you do on these weeks. This is what you do on this week. This is how you live. Make sure you dot the I, you cross the T. You don't do this. You do this. You don't do that. You do this over and over and over again and all it leaves you with is what you can't do and God says I've got a new covenant for you I won't remember those sins like I've done before I won't remember those against you anymore I I want you to know that you can have right here right now today a clear conscience when it comes to a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you can have a clear conscience knowing that when you stand before him on that day, you will not be condemned for anything. You can have that today, and it is an eternal promise that is secured by Jesus himself. And so he uses that word we use all so often. But here it is, at least one place in the Bible that you can be saved. You can be saved today. 
you can have this eternal hope. This is the new covenant. This is the new promises built on something much better, built on the Lord Jesus himself. I wonder today, do you know the Lord Jesus? You're sitting right here listening to this preacher. Do you have a clear conscience? Now, I'm not negating the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And if you want to know more about that, that's right. I don't mean we walk out of here. But I tell you what, I'm not afraid. I talk to people who sometimes are afraid. Sometimes they're on their beds and they're wondering about what's going on. Believe it or not, sometimes people know the Lord at that point. Sometimes people don't know the Lord at that point. Sometimes I have to be very honest and say, you know what, you should be concerned. You should be worried. You should be fearful because he's a holy God. And then there are some times when I look at a dear loved one who's suffering through a situation like that, and I say, how about you and me singing Great is Thy Faithfulness together? Because I want you to know something. It doesn't depend upon you. It depends on God who saves. And great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. If you don't know the Lord Jesus today, I would love to talk with you more about that. Right now, I'd like to pray with you. God, I thank you for the new covenant. Not a language I use a lot, but it's a new promise. It's not like the old one, the, all the do's and don'ts that I can't live up to, but it's a promise that you have done in the Lord Jesus and giving your son and Lord Jesus humbling yourself even to the cross on my behalf that has paid that price for me. Oh God, I want to be clean. Oh God, I want to have that clear conscience that trusts in you alone. I pray today, Lord, that if there's any in the sound of my voice that uh, you're calling to yourself, I pray that they'd respond, that they'd come and talk to me or talk to someone else about what it means to be a Christian, about what it means to be covered in the new covenant blood of the Lord Jesus. God, would you do it? only because it makes you great, only because it raises up your wonderful and powerful name, I pray, Lord, save, save, save. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Pastor Buzz. Church, would you stand with me as we take a time to respond to God's word? fears relieved 
down thy first. 